0: Europe is on its back. Now, it's really impacting everything.
1: Economic efficiencies, which means some more job
0: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred preferred a clause. Money for nothing.
1: Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. President Obama proposes new taxes to the wealthy uh, to ease the middle class's economic burden. ka Shing's Hutchison Wampoa is exploring the purchase of Telefonica's O2 in the UK. The euro is near an 11-year low just prior to the ECB meeting later this week, and the Swiss franc holds its historic rally since scrapping its cap versus the euro last week. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll ask our U.S. correspondent Barry Wood about President Obama's new tax proposals. Then Steve Gollop of the Taish Group will share his views on what to watch out for in the ECB meeting this week. And Yenling Song of Platts joins us to discuss China's independent oil refiners. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is co-host this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Have you recovered from the Swiss National Bank's actions last week?
2: Oh yes uh, take I an mean, all
1: weekend to do it
2: <laughs> oh yeah actually I'm, i I do the fast do a fasting this weekend yeah
1: yeah I think fasting was definitely what was called for <laughs> uh, this was probably the biggest news in finance at the end of last week uh, that is the Swiss national Bank's move to scrap its cap on the franc Jim O'Neill is the former chairman of Goldman Sachs asset management, and he says that this is probably the single largest ever intraday move of a liquid currency since floating rate exchange. Floating exchange rates started.
3: There must be one or two guys who are very excited about how much money they made, but I can imagine there must be an enormous amount of uh, blood out there, whether it be in dealing rooms, but obviously for lots of uh, corporations uh, in Switzerland and elsewhere. So this is a huge development. Obviously, the Swiss authorities would appear to have taken some sort of negative view about the consequences of the ECB and the European situation one wonders whether that means they have any inside knowledge or just a very strong view that the ECB will do full-blown QE next week or maybe even more that they've come to the conclusion that EMU just cannot survive or something because to to take the risk of such a staggering 30% rise of of their currency in such an openly uh, exposed country to the borders of Germany and Switzerland and Italy is, is truly staggering. And my, my I, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of friends of mine from, that, from the currency world who are, to try and get them to stop me from wanting to sell the Swiss franc because I cannot see how it can stay here for very long.
1: So is this a new defining moment in history? David Zervos is the chief market strategist at Jefferies, and he says that the move is definitely not normal, but he likes it.
4: A central bank just embraced really negative interest rates for the first time and it's he says exciting. With a smile. It's exciting. <laughs> they sort of said, you know this balance sheet expansion thing. Remember the Swiss have the largest balance sheet as a percentage of GDP of any other country in the world. They have accumulated so much stuff in order to defend this peg. It's 80% of their of their economy. Nothing like it. Ours for example is 25%. So they're almost over three times as large in terms of the size of their economy at the central bank. And they said, you know what, enough's enough. I can't do this balance sheet expansion trade anymore. I know they told me negative rates are crazy. I know they said there's all this other risks with negative rates, but you know what, we're going to do it. And God bless them. I actually think we could have done negative rates and we wouldn't have had to do all the QE that we did here in the U.S. But the FRB in New York sort of freaked out on the money funds. They freaked out on a lot of other things and they backed away from it. So what are the
1: losses going to be?
4: There are some banks who were silly enough to probably sell some uh, some options that they shouldn't have, and there may be a few billion dollars of losses out there, distributed distributed across probably the European banks and the Swiss banks in particular, Um, but. I, I think anyone that, was, anyone that was a decent risk manager would have said, never sell this tail event. So I think it's going to be something that's a, a reasonably well-contained storyline. There will be a few fun guys that got caught, a lot of retail that was silly enough to do it. But I don't think this is going to be a systemic problem. Uh, and the borrowing is, is different. That's the Hungarian market, the uh, mortgage markets. That have, market, right. I mean, that's an issue. but. I think, by and large, we're not going to see a huge macroeconomic fallout. There's going to be some winners, there's going to be some losers. There'll be a lot of them, but it won't be something that creates systemic risk.
1: The Swiss National Bank's actions raise questions as to Hong Kong's currency peg with the U.S. dollar. But Financial Secretary John Tang says that the government is committed to the currency peg. Cecil Wong has details.
2: John Dung's latest blog entry took the Swiss example as a cautionary tale for Hong Kong, saying both are small, open, export-oriented economies. He said Switzerland's decision last Thursday to abandon its three-year-old cap of 120 francs per euro not only caused great volatility on global stock markets, the credibility of his national bank, which had insisted it would maintain the cap just a month earlier, is now being seriously questioned. He said Hong Kong can learn from their experience to see that exchange rate volatility is not conducive to international trade. He said while the currency peg isn't a cure-all, it has provided the territory with a stable exchange rate over the past three decades and gained the confidence of international investors. As such, Mr. Zhang reiterated that the government is committed to the peg and doesn't intend to change this proven system.
1: Alex, uh, you know, there's all this talk about uh, central banks and governments being committed to pegs until the one day that they decide that they're no longer committed. So what do you make of uh, what John Chang is saying? Oh,
2: I think Hong Kong di- situation is different. Uh, we do not see uh, massive fund flow into Hong Kong dollar uh, over the last uh, probably few years. So uh, we do not have uh, that kind of uh, situation. That we, we do not have the government to try to defend the currency. So uh, we are not in the situation like uh, Swiss.
1: And, you know, when you talk about Switzerland, I mean, it's such a small country geographically, yeah. but the mm. impact, of course, is huge. Can you explain this to our listeners?
2: Oh, I think, uh, first of all, uh, there's uh, some losses uh, uh, triggered by this move uh, uh, on banks and on on, on uh, some funds, probably. And I think uh, the, the real impact is the confidence. Actually, the market is in a risk of uh, mold, uh, before this move, and uh, if you witness this kind of a uh, uh, change in, in in government policy, then you you realize the world actually is a very risky. So I think uh, a lot of people are doing the risk of uh, uh, strategies uh, more aggressively after seeing the move. That's why we saw uh, a huge move uh, after the Swiss uh, bank move uh, uh, on Thursday.
1: Certainly. Let's bring in Barry Wood, who is RTHK's Washington-based international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry.
5: Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Alex.
1: So, Barry, um, you know, still this is uh, the talk of the town, you know, even three, four days later. The question is, why did the Swiss do this? What's your take?
5: Well, my take is simply that uh, they were expending too much money uh, to to protect this peg. And, uh, you know, the Swiss had a vote on uh, whether this kind of activity uh, should be linked to, to gold. They wanted gold. Uh, you know, the Swiss are very conservative. The flow of, of money into the Swiss franc was overwhelming. I think they decided, you know, this is uh, something that we need to do. I think they could go back to the peg at some point. They probably want to see where this currency settles out. But I know I'm not the expert on this. You've got Steve talking about this, and I defer to Alex as well.
1: And Barry, what do you think uh, is the danger potentially? I mean, what could this mean in terms of Greece exiting?
5: Well, there I think uh, there is a message, and that is... If the Swiss franc has this kind of impact on foreign exchange markets and is not even a member of the eurozone, what does this mean in the case of, say, Greece leaving or another of the peripheral countries leaving? On the one hand, you could say, well, gosh, Switzerland is so much more important than Greece. You you could conclude, therefore, this shouldn't be a problem. But I think the fact that this is so volatile and the effects have yet to be fully felt I think it also, probably more than anything else, Renita, says that on Thursday, the European Central Bank is going to do some form of QE. I think that's the clear message. I think the Swiss National Bank wanted to be ahead of that. And I think that uh, it means that we're in a volatile period. You mentioned at the top, Renita, that we've got the euro at 11-year low. We've got it at $1.16. It's probably going to go still lower.
1: All right, let's bring in Steve Gallup, who is the CEO of the Teich Group. He joins us now from our Admiralty studio. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Uh, Steve, do you agree with Barry? Do you think that the Swiss uh, National Bank's move portends that the ECB will definitely move into QE this week?
0: Um, it does sound like they, they got the nod from the ECB. Um, and, and so, yes, I, I think uh, um, their concerns were twofold. One was the adjoining uh, um, uh, currency reserves that they had. Um, but also if QE comes in, then it's going to put massive pressure on, uh, on maintaining that, uh, that ceiling. And I think they weren't prepared to do that.
1: And what are you expecting specifically on, t- on Thursday?
0: Um, Figure-wise is, is a huge question because, uh, you know, everybody is now unquestionably expecting QE to be introduced and they're expecting interest rates to remain the same. Um, but the level of QE is going to be the big question. Um, if it's underwhelming, then the markets gonna, are not going to like that. Um, and uh, we've seen the U.S. put in some four and a half trillion dollars in their QE over the four or five years. Um, and so, you know, figures of a trillion dollars I- I- are out there. and, and that would keep the market very happy. If it's 500 billion, then you question it, and, and whether that will just be, as I say, underwhelming and, and won't be what the markets want.
1: Barry, what do you think? Do you think the U.S. Uh, will, uh, has already set the stage for what the QE numbers might be out of Europe?
5: Well, I think the problem in Europe is that the economy is stuck in a kind of uh, uh, deflationary trap. And you've got uh, deflationary pressures throughout the eurozone, and you've got a freeze on bank uh, lending. This is the problem. They don't see any growth in Europe. And uh, you've got now negative interest rates in, in Switzerland. Think of that, a negative interest rate you have to pay to have your money in Switzerland. I think this has got implications that are yet to be foreseen, and I agree with what Steve just said. It's very, very difficult for Mr. Draghi and the European Central Bank to thread the needle to get this thing right, because markets are going to respond to whatever comes out on Thursday, and I don't think people have a clue as to what that's going to be.
1: So, Steve, to Barry's point here, you know, you have to pay your pay to keep your money in Switzerland. Um, how how do investors deal with that? That is far from compelling.
0: Um, well, it, it's it's a catch, isn't it? Because uh, the, the reason why they they're having negative interest rates on the currency, in particular, is because they don't want people buying it, um, and it is an attractive safe haven relative to euro. And, and bear in mind that you know. Uh, Switzerland has been buying a lot of euro in the recent years in order to try and maintain that ceiling. And um, they're going to start selling that euro and uh, probably not, not selling uh, Swiss franc going forward. So that's going to make Swiss franc stronger and make it attractive purely as a capital gain proposition. So, again, it's a balancing act.
1: Uh, Alex, what do you think?
2: Oh, yeah, I think a uh, short term of, probably uh, Swiss franc would strengthen because of this, but uh, would not have too much upside. Uh, and this week, I think, of course, I will report all the time uh, after the meeting. Yeah. All
1: right. Okay, uh, let, let's uh, hold that thought. We have uh, more to discuss uh, on Europe, but let's go back to Barry uh, for a second. Barry, uh, President Obama is proposing new taxes on the wealthiest Americans to limit their profits from investments and make it harder for them to pass assets to their heirs. So, is this going to fly in a Republican controlled Congress? <laughs>
5: well no is the short answer it's not <laughs> because my goodness the republicans oppose these kinds of tax increases uh the democrats would have you believe that the republicans are the epitome of the one percent and here's the president who said he was not going to be on the defensive he's playing offense he wants to raise capital gains tax he wants to raise the estate tax he wants to raise the income tax rates for uh, people above a certain level he wants spousal tax credits for the middle class he wants a three times increase in the child care credit i mean this is this is impressive I guess that's his legacy, but it's not going to happen
1: it's not going to happen I see so is he just going to be up against uh you know a major battle these next two years and if so why is well, he doing yes,
5: it? I think so uh look, the president has um you know. It's hard to read the president and how he wants to deal with this new Republican leadership. On the one hand, maybe all of this bluster and this business on immigration and on Cuba and on almost thumbing your nose at the opposition, maybe that's just setting the stage for some very pragmatic business on genuine tax reform that the Republicans could get behind. On the other hand, maybe it means that he expects nothing in deals with the Republican leadership, and he just wants to be on the record. I think we will know more after Tuesday night when he speaks, but I think the President has yet to really reveal his strategy on the next two years.
1: Okay, and that's at the State of the Union speech uh, that you're referring to, is that right?
5: Yes, it is. Coming Tuesday night, we've got a holiday here and no trading on our markets uh, on Monday.
1: Is there anything else uh, that we're expecting to hear from him uh, specifically in the State of the Union speech?
5: Well, I don't think so, Renita. I think he could talk about uh, foreign policy vis-a-vis Iran. He was very extensive on that in his press conference with David Cameron on Friday. I think the president wants a deal with Iran, and he wants to caution the Republicans not to uh, tie his hand. So I think it's an important uh, speech on Tuesday, and I think the president's popularity, by the way, has uh, sort of crept upwards. So it's not as if this is a man who is, as we say in the States, a lame duck for the next two years. I think he wants to be a player.
1: Mm, despite, the, despite the tax issue, his popularity has crept up. Okay, Barry, um, I'd like to ask you also um, about oil prices, since that's still a, you know, a very relevant topic of discussion here. Um, you've been saying for a while that the drop in oil prices is a plus. I'm wondering if you still hold that view.
5: I do. I do. I think that uh, I, I spent uh, an hour looking at the chart. Look, I I, I want to be in the company of uh, Steve and Alex here, who stu- study charts all the time. But you look, hear that, guys. The oil price going back ten years, you you find that you know the the equilibrium price must be around somewhere between forty and sixty. If we go back to what happened in two thousand eight, you had the uh, the oil price on West Texas Intermediate end in the year at thirty two dollars. We're at 48.50 on West Texas now. So I think the oil price can still go down a bit. There are so many different factors at work here. And uh, I don't think that we're yet at the crisis stage in terms of the end of fracking and layoffs in the U.S. petroleum refining industry. I think that uh, it, it's very delicate, but I'm not yet a pessimist in answer to your question.
1: Alex, do you agree?
2: Well, yeah, I think, uh, in the short term, we just saw some uh, recovery due to the expiry of, uh, the, uh, Fab contract last week. So there's a technical rebound, but I think, uh, the fundamental still remain weak and probably would resume the downtrend for a while. But, uh, people, are starting to buy, uh, uh, oil stocks already. So we also see, we are seeing some stabilization in the, in this, in the equity side, uh, on the upstream payers, but, uh, downstream probably still would, uh, have, uh, some, Uh, negativity i think
1: all right okay barry thank you so much for joining us this morning that is barry wood rthk's international economics correspondent joining us every monday from washington dc so steve uh, you know uh taking a quick look at the numbers here um Actually, let's take a quick look at the numbers first. You know, I'll hold that thought. Uh, the Nikkei is up 148 points to 17,012. Uh, Australia's ASX index is up 50 points to 5,329, and Seoul's Kospi is up 14 points to 1,902. In currencies, one euro buys you 1.15 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 117 yen, and the pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 73 cents. Steve, currencies—you know—they remain volatile. So, given this, what should investors be watching?
0: Um, Well, I think what we've seen in the last year and continue through this year, probably will be, be a strong and stable US dollar. So if, if you're looking for somewhere to park your money, um, I, th- I think US dollar is going to be a winner this year, um, especially if we see the ECB bring in the QE because that's almost bound to bring a on, weakening on the uh, euro, which is the, the other main currency out there, basically. Um, and, and that's going to help uh, US dollar and also probably US stocks, also a safe haven. So um, l- look looking towards US dollar, but outside of that... Um, We've seen a huge amount of volatility across a lot of different uh, currencies, and so it's clear that you do need to, to be watching currency much more. Everybody, as far as I know, lost money from Swiss franc last week. Uh, I know there was a mention earlier it was balanced. I don't see that. Um, unless you were you know, going across the border from Switzerland to Germany to buy a car, um, you lost money last week if you were in yen in, in, uh, in Swiss franc.
1: And so the volatility in U.S. equities, that is something that you're not concerned about?
0: Um, I, I think it's going to be controlled again. Uh, I, I, I still don't uh, actually rule out the idea of QE being reintroduced into, into the U.S. Um, Yellen clearly likes it, um, and if things did not go well, uh, I think they, they'd possibly reconsider bringing it back in anyway. So for the time being, I'm quite happy with U.S. US stocks, U.S. prices.
1: When you say um, you know, that they, they might reintroduce the idea of QE, what kind of time frame are we looking at before that uh, decision sort of comes into being?
0: Um, I, I think it will be driven the other way around by, by events in, in the US. So uh, at the moment, there's an expectation of interest rates being raised mid, midpoint next year. Um, if that continues through, then, then QE will be put off. Um, but if that starts to look doubtful, th- then I think you could look back at potential for QE again.
1: Alex, what do you think?
2: Oh, I think uh, uh, that's a long call, probably. Uh, in the meantime, the market will remain very volatile, of course. And uh, I think right now, probably uh, within the next... Uh, uh, one or two weeks or one or two months, we probably would in in a risk risk-off attitude. Uh, we probably would see the market to continue to to park money on on safer uh assets. So that that is the major uh change right now we are seeing. So right now, people probably would reduce their risk and reduce their risk exposure. Actually.
1: So, Steve, uh, U.S. uh, dollar, U.S. equities, anywhere else that you'd be putting your money on right now?
0: Um, Well, I think listen to what happens on Thursday. And and if there is a serious uh, QE program coming in, then European stocks have to look quite favorable. I mean, clearly, QE worked very well for the stock market in the U.S. Um, That was the first experiment. We we expect the results to be similar in Europe. Um, But bear in mind that we expect euro to come down. So if, if you're investing into Europe, you probably want to hedge the euro at the same time.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Steve Gallup. He thank is you. the CEO of the Taish Group. And we'll be back to talk more about China's independent oil refiners. That's right after this.
3: The village representative election is scheduled on three consecutive Sundays from January 4th to 18th, 2015.
5: While the Kaifeng representative election will be held on January 25th, 2015. The Home Affairs Department will send polling notices to registered electors stating the date, time, and address of the polling station 10 days before the poll. For inquiries, please call 21521521 or visit the dedicated website. All
3: eligible electors do come and vote.
1: The time is now 8:24 a.m. and China's independent oil refiners or teapot refiners account for about uh, 30% of the nation's refining capacity. Based in eastern China, these small refiners uh, fight for competition in a sector that is dominated by state-owned enterprise enterprises. We're joined now by Yenling Song who is a senior writer at Platts. Good morning, Yenling. Hi, good morning. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more about where these refiners are based specifically?
6: Yes, given that the oil sector is largely dominated by huge state-owned oil companies, this is actually quite a unique segment of China's oil sector. And um, there are currently over 50 of these refiners based in eastern Shandong province, um, with full estimated cap- capacity of over 3 million barrels per
1: day. And uh, are they a model for independent enterprise or private enterprise in what is you know, normally a state-dominated sector?
6: Well, about three-quarters of these teapot refiners um, are entirely private, meaning they have no affiliation with a state-owned enterprise or any other local government backing. So they actually are run like private enterprises. They don't follow any government targets for production like uh, the SOEs. And they are mainly purely profit-oriented, which allows them to run however they want, whenever they want to. So as a result, you actually see that overall utilization for the sector is between 30% and 40%. And if you compare that with the SOEs, their utilization is around 75 to 80%.
1: But uh, there are limitations on these uh, teapot refineries, are there not? I mean, for example, uh, they cannot export. Is that right?
6: That's right. They they don't have the rights to export any of the products that they produce. So the gasoline and diesel that, uh, that they produce has to be sold uh, only within the domestic market.
1: So then in that case, I mean, their success is definitely tied to the domestic success of China. And what does that picture look like given the overall slowdown?
6: Yeah. So basically, I mean, what we're seeing is even with the, um, you know, current fall in, uh, oil prices at the moment, because the demand in China is not as strong as what we once were looking at, <clears throat> we're not actually seeing, uh, we're not actually expecting a significant, uh, rebound, uh, in overall demand, uh, which means for the teapot refiners, they're still going to be, you know, in a current state of affairs. Um, they're already squeezed in terms of margins because they're forced to use fuel oil as a feedstock whereas the SOEs have access to crude oil Um, and this means the margins are squeezed and then the the lack of um, export markets also um, squeezes them further um, on the downstream front.
1: And what about demand within China? I mean, is there enough? Um, The teapot
6: refiners typically have been swing um, uh, suppliers of fuel in China so, in, in instances where you see shortages in certain areas, um, they may kick in to supply more fuel to, to the region. But um, currently, with the with demand in China growing at about two to three percent, um, there is overcapacity in the country at the moment. So, we don't see a, a big rebound in the
1: utilization rate. Alex, uh, any thoughts that you'd like to add?
2: No, no. I think uh, this is a sector which probably would still be under pressure and not, 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 not have any, any, any strong prospect in the meantime. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. That's Yanling Song. She is a senior writer at Platts. Well, here we are, just a few minutes to the end of the show, Alex. Uh, Besides the ECB meeting this week, uh, any specific parting thoughts uh, uh, for the show, or th- you know, things that we should be oh, looking out for?
2: For today, actually, that could be quite interesting because on Friday, actually, uh, the um, Asia in, uh, index futures fell a lot uh, after the close because. Um, the uh, SEC investigated into margin lending in, uh, of security houses. I think that is a uh, good move uh, for long term because the um, open leverage situation probably would be the one which prevent the uh, further easing in China. So after clearing this move, I think uh, probably we would see some more favourable policies in the uh, upcoming. So uh, probably today we will see some downside in China shares. But that probably would present a uh, long-term opportunities. But I think you uh, uh, You can wait for two, three days to wait for the market to stabilize.
1: Certainly. All right. Thank you uh, so much for joining us this morning. That is Alex Wong. He is the Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. And he joins us uh, every week on a Monday on Money for Nothing. So if there are specific questions that you would like to address to him, please do post a comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash money for nothing at RTHK Radio 3. Thank you, Alex. A quick look at the numbers before we depart. The Nikkei is up 112 points to 16,976. Australia's. ASX index is up 57 points to 5,336. And Seoul's Kospi is up 1% to 1,909. This is Rinita Malhotra Hora signing off for Money for Nothing. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Uh, today will be fine and dry, rather cool in the morning, with a maximum temperature of about 18 degrees during the day. Currently, the temperature is 13 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 50%. And now it's time for the half-hour news summary with Todd Harding.
0: The United States Secret Service says shots have been fired near the home of the Vice President Joe Biden in Delaware. A search is being carried out to check whether the bullets hit anything. The BBC's Naomi Grimley reports from Washington.
1: The shots were fired at around 8.25 on Saturday night from a speeding vehicle travelling on a public road outside the secure perimeter of Mr Biden's residence. His actual home is several hundred metres from the road and in any case he and his wife Jill were out when the incident happened. One man was arrested later nearby but it's not known if he was directly involved in the
0: shooting. Just days ahead of the annual State of the Union address, President Obama has put tax reform on his to-do list for his last two years in office. Radio Australia's Ben Knight reports from Washington.
5: In the past week, Barack Obama has been on the road talking up the US economic recovery and foreshadowing his agenda. That will now include tax reform to benefit America's middle class. America's resurgence is real. Our job now is to make sure that every American feels that they're a part of our country's comeback. That means raising the capital gains tax rate for those who earn more than half a million dollars a year and closing a trust fund loophole which allows some inherited wealth to go untaxed. But the President is expected to face fierce opposition from the Republican-controlled Congress. Suspected Boko Haram militants from Nigeria have kidnapped dozens